I sure do. Who the hell would give these three goons their own show? Welcome to Puck Puck Pass, a belly-up sports podcast committed to keeping you informed on the latest news and trends in hockey. So pick up your teeth, grab a brew, and don't be a hoser. Here are your hosts, whose names sound like something I'd call my dog, Zach Mac, Yake, and KJ. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode three of the Puck Puck Pass podcast. I'm KJ here with Zach Mac and Yake. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Doing just well, thank you. All right, we are super excited to be back for another episode. We cannot wait for this to launch. Uh, we've been doing some great things on the website, all that great stuff you heard in the intro. Uh, we've got our puck picks, hashtag puck picks, every single day. Go up against myself, Zach Mac, or Yake on Twitter. Uh, and you can win yourself some free stuff. I know someone's actually got a uh, street going, but I was so late on my picks last night that he didn't put anything in. Um, but we've got a ton to talk about today. Uh, what's on your guys' mind off the top of your head? Yeah, you know, for me, it, the big thing that I saw was uh, how great it was to see Brian Boyle and getting his first career hat trick there on uh, Hockey Fights Cancer Night. I thought it was uh, – just kind of fitting piece into his story. Yeah, that was awesome. That was that was something you love to see, especially, I mean, when he came back and scored a goal in his first game back from cancer treatment, it was cool enough. But to see him score that hat trick and, you know, never being a goal scorer, really, that was really cool. Zach, uh, what did this week, you know, what's sticking with you after this week? Uh, just the, the Voinov news, um, him seeking a reinstatement into the NHL, um, kind of – kind of getting people back into that story talking about that again um i thought that was super interesting and uh just to kind of see where that goes for him yeah that's something we'll definitely talk about uh later in the episode too is just whether or not we really think a team is going to take a chance not so much on a guy who's definitely probably or no still definitely a, a good hockey player and a top pairing guy but are they going to take a, a risk on someone who is such just a pile of garbage in uh, the public's eye. Uh, for me right now, I think we'll just jump into this right away. We were talking about it uh, before the episode. The ass top line, you know, we all think it's the best line in hockey. I think we talk about it in our power rankings, uh, but that team as a whole is struggling. And, you know, like last night, they lose to Nashville as we record this. It was last night. They just, they've got way too much talent to be losing games the way they are. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, 22 points. Ranton in, 24. Gabriel Landeskog, 18. How how come supplemental scoring has all of a sudden just died off for these guys? Yeah, I think it's the biggest thing to um, opposing teams as far as creating um, matchup advantages. Obviously, like you said, it's tough to match up against that top line um, and the points they're putting up. Nathan McKinnon's taking something like 68. Six, yeah, 68 shots so far this season, which is just far and away above everyone else on the team. But uh, yeah, like you said, they need they need that supplemental scoring um, to create matchup problems for opposing teams, and they're just they're not they're not getting it right now. Um, I mean, they're getting like you said, they're getting the production from the top line, but the, I, th- I just think the rest of the team needs to step up in order for the team to succeed. Well, I just think it shows the importance of having guys that are able to score that much and. You know, you got to look at it as, do they eventually need to separate that line? And I understand that we all view it as the best line in hockey, but eventually if the rest of the team isn't scoring, I think you got to look at separating the wealth, and that way you can kind of – you can get two, three lines that are able to put the puck in the back of the net. So that was always the issue with Washington too, is they – you know, they had such a high-powered first line, you know, whether it was Ovechkin and Backstrom and whoever else they wanted to put up there – it with the ads, you start to see kind of that same thing where they are generating points on the first line, and when things start to fall off, they fall off hard. the The big thing that separates the ads from you know the Caps teams of the past is the, when the Capitals would stop scoring, you could look in one specific spot: the power play. When they when their scoring went down, their power play percentage went down as well, or they were just getting less power plays as a whole. The the Avs top line, these three guys, McKinnon has 11 goals, 10 of them even strength. Ranton in five goals, three of them even strength, and 16 of his 19 assists even strength. Landis Cox, seven goals, seven even strength goals. So, so they're almost doing it in a way that's contrary to how you predict these things happen. 
when they start to get more power plays or when they start to get consistency in the, in the all at least the top three lines, I mean, everyone knows the fourth line is never going to score that many goals. Are they just going to be an unstoppable team? Or is this something that even if they fix it, it's never going to be perfect unless they buy hard at the trade deadline? Well, I think you got to look at them to buy hard at the trade deadline to be able to fix it. But if that is, it's how much are they really going to sell? Because if you go on and, and they're just selling the entire future of the team, then really does it make sense for them to, to want to be able to do that? I think most of what they have, uh, especially at their core, are, are guys that, are, that aren't going to be moved. So and even, you know, even guys like Ian Cole, Ian Cole are contributing. So, you know, you got to worry about, you know, Sam Gerrard looks good. But are they going to move him to get more offensive firepower? I don't. I don't think that benefits the team in the long run, and they don't seem like a win now team. Yeah, especially with I think the rate that they're frontline scoring. I think they're thinking, you know, this can. They're younger guys. This can be a team that can be good for years to come. So I don't think I don't think they're going to just completely unload everybody at the trade deadline and try to try to get the cup this year. But you, you also have to wonder, you know, when was the last time the the Avs even were in the final rounds of the playoffs and what do they need to do to be able to get back there and and are the fans willing to wait it out because if the fans aren't willing to wait it out then I think there is going to be some kind of panic that that comes up for that team yeah that's a that's the biggest thing is I I think um they want to they want to get back into being that contender um that they were you know about a decade ago and and it's really about you know do they want to do that now or are they willing to do they think that this top line has years left in their prime because the one thing you don't want to do is wait until their prime's over and then start trying and buy 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 before it's playoff time and and that's i think the biggest worry that you've got as an avalanche fan is you want to make the playoffs now and make a deep run now that these guys are playing so well and they're just kind of in that limbo phase yeah, see, I think I think of how long it's been since they've obviously they've made the playoffs, but how long it's been since they've been a serious contender. And when you start to get that taste of what it's like to be back on top, this current regime hasn't had that before. So it's their first taste, and you worry about, oh, this is it, this is the window. And you know, they sacrifice the next six, seven, eight years to win the one cup you know, the one cup they need that they'll think will just kind of reinvent the franchise. So that's, that's obviously a big worry, but I don't, I don't see them doing that. And I don't see them winning the cup this year, but if they were to make a run, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, And they can just build on that year at the, the best thing, especially in hockey, the best thing you can do is make yourself look like a contender, which turns you into a free agent destination. And maybe that's that, maybe that's the case for them. And I think I think the one thing that Colorado really needs to worry about is that on a lot of lists, if you look at farm teams, they're on the bottom half of the list. So if this year they're not going to get the cup and all that's going to happen is, you know, they're going to make the playoffs and they're looking at a, a 16, 17, 18 pick in the first round, they're really not going to be able to build that farm system. So they're going to have to look free agent to be able to, to get those pieces that they need because the guys they're going to be drafting are going to be four, five, six years away from the NHL still. So, so I think the only way to immediately help them is trade and free agent. And with them having a, a, a bottom half farm team, they don't have those pieces needed to to bring someone there like a, a Tavares or a Carlson or someone like that that can really help them out. Yeah, that's super important because you know, that's that's the problem you run into with con- like if you're constantly making the playoffs as the sixth or seventh best team in your conference, and you're ending up with those mid to late round picks. Um, it's, it really hurts your chance to rebuild via the draft. And like Jake said, then you're, you're, you're trying to make yourself a free agent destination. And um, the, the location of the team, you know, doesn't really help. So they got to do everything they can to make themselves um, desirable. Cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but the more I talk about it, the more I think about this team, there's a lot of flyers to them in the sense that they have a stellar top line a lot of other good players, but their worries in that are going to what might be what costs them a cup. I, I mean, I agree with that. I'm, I'm trying not to make everything about the Flyers, but 
just everything with the, the fact that they're getting mid to late draft picks, they're making the playoffs but not making runs. I mean, that right there just screams flyers. And, and you kind of look at it where you end up with, you know, Giroux, Voracek, Simmons that are all early 30s and don't have a cup to their name. And, and you don't want to move them, but you almost have to at least lose one of those key pieces if you're going to look at getting anybody else in there that's going to help anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, Landis Cog's been around longer than all those guys. He's, you know, seen the playoffs. He's seen the very bottom of the standings. Uh, well, I guess at this point they all have. But it's kind of nice to see these guys come together. I don't want to say in spite of Matt Duchesne, but it seems like it's in spite of Matt Duchesne. They've, they've really come together and, and put that period behind them and, and put together an, a team on the ice that, at least looks like a Stanley Cup contender. Probably not this year, but they will be, especially if they keep this up. And Jared Bednar behind the bench looks awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's kind of that that same thing that you got to look at with Vegas where someone tells you you're not good enough or I don't want to be a part of that team, and it kind of gives you that chip on the shoulder that you have something to play for now. And I think that's what Matt Duchesne gave the the avalanche. Yeah, he had a, he had a really heavy, I'm too good for this team attitude, which – is hilarious considering his current situation. Uh, any last thoughts on the Avalanche before we move on? Other, other than they're going to prove us all wrong and go and win the Cup this year. Uh, let's keep it out west with another, I wouldn't consider the Avalanche a huge surprise, but the Coyotes are. Um, this is a team who is kind of the picture of mediocrity. No, just bad. Not even mediocrity. They're just bad. Uh, and Lately, they've kind of come alive, and the Coyotes team looks pretty good. Maybe not a playoff team yet, but way more impressive than I ever, ever imagined. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, they've been playing well enough lately to where people are wondering, you know, can they can they do what the Avalanche were able to do and go from the bottom to being a potential um, playoff, uh, part of the playoffs, and... I think because they started, they started one and four, and then they went on that five game win streak where they it was four to one, four to one, seven to one, five to one, and that's you know that that kind of streak is like that that gets people like wow we're playing well you know maybe we can maybe we can do this and those were like they're those games were Vancouver, um, Tampa Bay like those those weren't joke games you know yeah I think uh, I think they're playing well and I think the big part of them playing well is their special teams I mean they they've been scoring power play goals. Yeah, I, I saw the stat the other night. I think they said they had scored in like their last five games on the power play or something like that. So you're, you're looking at a team that has their special teams clicking. And from that point, when you have that, it, it allows you to make a few mistakes five on five. And with a team that's kind of, I don't want to say inexperienced, but a team that, that has been a perennial bottom half of the, the league, I think you're looking at somebody that it, when you get special teams play going, it just kind of clicks and everything else starts to click and you're, you, it gives you a, a mistake or two here and there. And that way you don't have to be on your game, literally the full 90 or what the full 60 minutes of the game. So I, th- I think that it, as long as they can keep their special teams up, you're going to look at power play goals that, that uh, kind of wipe out mistakes and breakaways. that other teams are able to score. Yeah. And they have, they have the number one penalty kill right now as it stands. Um, so that's, that's a thing that, you know, just gives your defense as a whole, a lot of confidence. Um, you can play a little more aggressive and you can kind of like you was saying, you can take chances here and there. And um, I think that's what allows them to kind of play. They want to play um, when they have that strength on the penalty kill. Yeah. I mean, to call them a, a perennial bottom half team is almost too generous because they, they live in the bottom quarter of not just the West, the entire league last year. It, it obviously they were going to win a game, but they started the season on a, on pace for like 22 points for the season. I mean, it was it was insane how bad they were. They trade away Max Domi. Declare's been gone for a while, and they're kind of not better without them because I think they could still be having the success with Max Domi. But there's just more, you know, I think Rick Tockett has really gotten them to rally around this idea of we're playing with house money. They're almost like Vegas last year, except every year. Because no one has any expectations of them, so they can just go out, play, have fun. Oliver Ekman Larson seems like he's really determined to help Arizona lose this this label of just the ultimate seller dweller. 
Uh, and they're, they're actually a ton of fun to watch. I don't know how many games you guys have been able to turn on for these guys, but they are super fun. Well, and I think you got to remember, too, that they just got Galchenyuk. Uh, last game was his first game with the Coyotes. So, I mean, if, he, if he's able to play and, and kind of lose his hothead temperament and, and all the off-ice issues, I think you're going to look at Galchenyuk being able to be there and, and kind of help Ekman Larson with, with young talent that's able to lead this team. Because, I mean, up in Montreal, he, he's got games under his belt. He's not like a 10-game a rookie or anything. He's going to be able to, to help the team turn around. And uh, I, I think the Coyotes are going to be a, a, a team that you no longer look as a laughing stock of the league. Yeah, they. I'm, and then they, because they need they need a boost on scoring. Um, they're 25th in the league in goals in game, but they're they're seventh in the league in shots per game. So they they need to convert their chances because what they're getting in net is, I mean, Ranta's at two two point one goals a game with a, a nine thirty, and Kemper's at two o two a game with nine thirty six on the save percentage, and that's but they're five and four and two and two respectively. So. They're playing. If you look at past Stanley Cup winners, they've got the goaltending that you need to be a contender. But they they really need to step up the the offensive side of things. I honestly, in the preseason, thought Ronto would be a Vesna candidate. I just there's something about there's something about that guy that is is almost like he's got Hopi's like real low temperament. And I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, like sometimes I feel like you can go into the crease and check Holby's pulse just to make sure he's there because he's, his, he's got no real attitude uh, unless he's getting punched in the back of the head by Ray Emery, rest in peace. Like he really doesn't have much movement or anything like that. And Ronta reminds me of that a little bit. He's got that to him. And if he can, if he can keep it together, I think the Coyotes might actually be a contender for that eight spot. Plus, he's got the best pads in the entire hockey league. I mean, he's got those pads matching those old school jerseys. Oh there. yeah, those old. Yeah, school. I was gonna say they're the sickest things I think I've ever seen on a goalie. I think they both have them now. Actually, I think like there's two separate designs, but they're because Ronta even made a joke about he's like, oh, I guess everybody's trying to copy me now. And it was they're I mean they're cool, and if they win every single game with those. Uh, I don't even know how to describe. Like I always think of them as like an Aztec jersey. Um, if they if they win most of their games wearing those, I say just make them the default again. Why not? I love those jerseys. They're really cool. I, I mean, if I had to see Jeremy Roenick in one, I might throw up. But other than that, they're really really cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's just keep an eye on the Coyotes this year. Obviously, I think there's somebody to write about, somebody to talk about, and uh, somebody to keep in mind when you're making your hashtag puck picks. Um. Let's go to another younger team and talk about the Leafs. Uh, we don't have to focus on this because we're going to be talking about the Leafs a lot, you know, as everybody is. Uh, but this is a team without Matthews that really hasn't missed a beat. And I think that's – it's almost beneficial for them to be without Matthews for a while to show themselves in the rest of the league. We're not ever going to be focused on one player. I think that should be absolutely terrifying for other teams, the fact that the Leafs aren't skipping a beat without Matthews. I think if you if you look at a team that can still keep up the production without what the top ten player in the league, I think that that right there is enough that teams should be fearing going to Toronto. Yeah, I mentioned um, how big matchup problems could be for uh, the Avalanche since they only have that one line producing at the moment, and I think Toronto has got the opposite where they create so many ma- matchup issues for opposing teams that. It's it's really hard to game plan against uh, the Leafs because they just have so much firepower from from a lot of different areas. It, and it's it's a firepower. It's a it, there's always a sense of urgency on the ice. Like I feel like the Leafs think they're playing that game seven against Boston where they gave up that lead every single night. Like yeah, they don't look like a world beater every single night, but they they still have that that sense of wow, this team is going to be so good after. I just think of kind of like the all-star break for this team to be like, all right, I guess it's time to go get that one seed. And I feel like they're the team that can just turn it on. And, and I think that, you know, no matter what ended up happening there with Nylander, I think you got to look at, they're going to get defense. Like they realize that is a downfall for that team. So come the trade deadline at what the end of January, they're going to be shopping for defense and, and they have some pieces that they're able to move and, and not really destroy the integrity of the team. And I, I just, I don't see 
anyone beating them in the playoffs. And and that's just a, a personal opinion of mine is I think that they are the team to beat this year in the NHL, and I think it'll be like that the entire season. I wonder, especially with the Nylander stuff, close if he isn't signed around the trade deadline, I think you use him for to get a defense, especially if you're still a top one or two team in the Atlantic, in the in the East, kind of you know looking at what seed you'll you know you'll have a good idea of where you're at. If they're still producing at such a high level and he's not back, I think you go get like a Jakob or Jakob Slavin or or somebody like that, Jacob Slavin, when it, you know in Carolina or use. There are teams who need a Nylander and who a lot of teams who can sign a guy like Nylander. So go get the defense you need. In you know, don't worry about who's not there anymore because a lot of Leafs fans are worried about who's not there. Look at what they're doing on the ice. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't he have to be signed by December this year to be able to play? Oh, as a restricted free agent. You're right. You're right. Because I, I think that I think he, I was gonna say I think he has to be signed. Otherwise, so I think they're gonna move him either before the trade deadline or sign him and honestly keep him up in the press box until they can move him. I don't think they want to give him the benefit of the doubt after you know he's strung this on for so long and he's not. I don't want to say he's not needed, but they're scoring without him. And the longer he kind of strings it out, closer to we get to December, I don't think they really need him. And, and even if they bring him back, I don't think they want to be like, oh, look, this is the piece that we could have been using this whole time. I think they want to bring him back and immediately shop him if, if he goes all the way until the deadline. Yeah, I think with the, the way um, that they're playing right now, um, yeah, I, don't, I just don't think Nylander is a big uh, concern of theirs as far as getting him on the ice for their team, you know. Yeah, I think I think the whole Kyle Dubas or Dubas or however you said Dubas, you're French Canadian. As I said, I think Kyle Dubas looking there at uh, when he was seen around at different games. If you go back and look at it, they're all teams that have young defensemen, and I think he might have been trying to you know get in other GMs ears, trying to figure out what might be out there if they decide to shop him. Yeah, I mean, this is just a team who every time they. If they get an extra piece in a in an area that they don't necessarily need it or aren't desperate for that sort of production, just move it. You know, I, they're gonna stick with Freddie Anderson for a while. I think in that, uh, I think they're just kind of you know married to him for a while. But Nylander's just the type of guy you can go get yourself a solid defenseman, um, especially with the entire hockey world seemingly making this guy another top fifteen player in the NHL. He's good. But I don't even think he's really like the third or fourth best player on this team. And I think, but the rest of the hockey world seems to think so. So Dubas, you know, he's definitely got some brains. He's going to be able to use that to flip him for maybe more than he's worth. Uh, but you're right. You get him on the ice and you immediately, he's basically trying out for every other team. Well, and I think, I think his price point is super high right now. Cause I think I saw something where the trade he had been interested with the Flyers was Sanheim and Gossespierre, which would be two young defensemen that are NHL ready that can, you know, play for another 10, 15 years and be able to change your team around. So I don't know. I don't know. To me, that seems like a high shopping price, but I, to other people, that might be a trade that, that you think might be good. So. I think you got to wonder how much is he going to be able to get out of the other GMs there because you can only go so high on a guy that hasn't played all season because people are going to start to wonder, you know, is he still in shape? Um, How's his legs doing? Like, is he going to be ready right away? And I think the longer it goes on, I I honestly think his market value goes down. So the, I mean, the last thing with the Leafs would just be, I mean, they're still six and four in the last 10. Uh, They still have a pretty positive goals for and goals against. But I think every player on this Leafs team is be is has like this persona of a lot better than they really are, and I, I think that's something Dubis is gonna be able to use uh, at the trade deadline to really pick up uh, a lot more, uh, probably a lot more talent than they're really giving away. Uh, but they're dangerous. I mean, they're they're too good without Matthews right now to not be considered a cup favorite. Uh, so another thing to keep an eye on. Uh, as well as the Leafs, is their neighbors in Canada. Holy hell, what is wrong with the Ottawa Senators? Oh, man, that storyline is just absolutely hilarious that you have some of your top guys on the team, including the Matt Duchesne that we mentioned earlier, in an Uber ride, riding down the road, just completely tearing apart 
the front office, the coaching staff, the other guys on the team. At one point, Matthew Shane said, I have not paid attention in three weeks, and he put me in and I knew what to do. So the fact that you have guys just openly admitting that, like, they just do not care what's going on in coaching meetings and closed-door meetings and everything. And for them, I, I mean, I understand that it sucks. They were recorded without their knowledge, and, and I think I'll get into that here in a bit. But for them just to tear it apart with someone else that's not a part of the organization and then for, for it to get leaked out like that, it just is not a good look for the Ottawa Senators. And I think my favorite part about the story is the fact that Uber is a sponsor for the Ottawa Senators and everyone right now at every game is just looking at everything up on the scoreboard. And it says, you know, stuff like you score, we'll give you a ride, different things like that. And the fact that their whole organization is just pretty much being mocked right now, all because these guys had to get in an an Uber ride and just completely tear out the organization with someone that's not a part of the team. And I think it's hysterical. My biggest issue with it isn't even the Uber ride. I mean, and a lot of people, I think your boy Voracek even said, like, that stuff happens all around the NHL. Everyone is bad talking, coaches, other players, everything. It's just kind of how you, especially when you're bad, that's, you know, you're just getting frustration out. But for the the senators to say, we've known about it, it's been, like, like they had already been through this three or four days before. I think it's typical Melnick, uh, typical senators to just, say they have a handle on something that they have no idea what they're talking about. They try to get this public image of we, you know, we're in control when they're clearly not. And they're, they're worried about their image. There's nothing left up to this team as far as respectability, integrity, and there's nothing redeemable about the Ottawa senators. I, I actually don't even know why I'm getting so frustrated about it, but they're, they just love to lie to their fans and say, don't worry we took care of it. Everything's fine. That's absolute crap to me. Yeah, the uh, the biggest thing I took away from it was what you touched on was um, Jakob Voracek um, kind of going off on the Uber driver. So you, it it really makes you wonder, you know, how many how many guys are doing this? Um, and and I get it. You know, they very may they may very well have you know met with the players, and this this could have been talked about. But you're still gonna you're still going to vent, you know, to your buddies and you're in a, you know, to what you assume is a harmless car ride. And you guys are just going off on, you know, what, whatever is going on in the organization. And when somebody else from another team kind of talks on your behalf, it, it really makes you, makes you wonder, you know, how, how many teams are doing this. And then you're also trying to think, okay, what teams are doing this, what teams aren't doing this, um, that, that sort of thing. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure Voracek's just reaching out to some buddies because the Flyers obviously have nothing bad to talk about. But, <laughs> no, I just think – I think when you look at what Voracek said, I mean, he literally just – he told the guy to do his job. Like, you have no need to be doing that. I understand. It. The problem is the guy's trying to make a quick buck. And I would like to know – I wish Ottawa would come out and be like, yeah, this guy literally tried to blackmail us or, like, anything like that and try to figure out, you know, what this guy did with the, the recordings and, and – who he tried to get paid by. But for, for me, I think you just, there's time to be smart. And I think sitting in it, it's not like the camera was hidden. It was a dash cam. And whether they, they realize it was facing them or not, you still have to understand that, that these guys aren't a part of your organization. Like there's a time and a place for it. Even if you do it, once you get to the club that night and you're like, it's a team bonding thing, but in a, in a situation where, I mean, everybody kind of recounts – I know when I get an Uber, I always ask, you know, what's the craziest story you have to my Uber driver? And I think that, you know, that guy, whether it's word of mouth or he has a recording of it, someone gets in there like, hey, yeah, what's the craziest thing or who's the most famous person you had? And he goes, oh, yeah, I had Matt Duchesne in here just talking shit on the coach for 20 straight minutes. I think you got to look at it, and, and I don't think, you know, on the way to the club with your teammates is the time to be talking about that kind of stuff. And it sucks that it, it came back to bite him in the ass, but I think you got to look at it and be like, you know, they weren't the smart there. So we talked about it before and kind of Matthew Shane's attitude in Colorado. Is this an issue? Like, is he a problem? Yeah, I, th- I think you got to ask yourself, is he poisoned to the locker room? And yeah, for me, he was the biggest name in there. So that's why I continue to go back to Shane. And he has that quote picked out where he literally says, I haven't paid attention in three weeks. And if you have a guy that's supposed to be one of your leaders on your team that admits to not paying attention in your team meetings 
and then during film and whatnot, I think you need to look at it like maybe he is a problem. Maybe we need to move him, get somebody else in here to lead this team. Because if you're truly trying to turn it around, which no one no one knows with Ottawa's ownership whether or not they actually want to turn it around or whether they just want to sell and move the team, I think that you have to wonder, is Duchesne going to be good for the team? And at that point, if you're another team, do you even want him on yours? Like, do you, do you want him in your locker room? I, I think it's worth mentioning because um, we're we're really hard on the Senators in this podcast. This is by no means a Canadian, a Canadian podcast. Um, for for a little backstory to anybody that um, isn't totally familiar with, with Ottawa, uh, the biggest thing to note as far as the Senators are concerned is Eugene Melnick, their owner. Uh, he needed a liver transplant. And a fan of the Ottawa Senators donated – a lobe or a node or, or however the medical term is to Eugene Melnick to save his life. Not 18 months later, he threatened to move that team out of Ottawa. And that's where a lot of the disdain comes for the Ottawa Senators is because of ownership. So if it seems like we're being unnecessarily harsh with them, every single person in that ownership group front office, they brought this on themselves well, I, I think they're a scumbag organization to begin with. I just, I, I don't like them. I, I'm never like the Ottawa Senators, but that's that's for a different podcast when we get into rivalries a little bit. But I think another thing that really hurts them is they're in one of those situations like Arizona, where their stadium is about an hour outside of Ottawa, where you look at and you're like, all right, well, I mean, do I really want to drive an hour there, get plastered, and then drive all the way back to my place? And I think they've they've petitioned to try to get the stadium moved closer and all this other stuff, and they're just not interested. And for the capital of a country as big as Canada and as big of hockey fans as they are, to to want to move out of the capital, I think you got to look at it and be like, you know, whoever is running this team is not doing it correctly. Yeah, that, I mean that's no secret. And the 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 worry for me is with when you've got Matt Duchesne in the locker room like that. Thomas Shabbat has looked very impressive. He's he's one of the best young defensemen so far this season. You, the last thing you need for him is to be poisoned about the franchise this early on. Obviously, I mean, these guys can't avoid the rumors and speculation about their team. But you do not need a guy like Matt Duchesne ruining you know, Thomas Shabbat for the next three or four years until Shabbat's like, yeah, I'm not playing again, so I'm out of here which is the same thing Matthew Shane did to Colorado. So it's worrisome to have a guy like that uh, potentially, you know, negatively influencing the young guys on this team because they're a young team. Yeah. I don't even, I don't even know that it's potentially, I, I mean, we've been talking for a little over 30 minutes. We've already brought in Duchesne twice on being an issue and I'm not, I'm not even a Matt Duchesne expert. So I'm sure there's a couple other things you could pull out from this guy's history that he's, he's proven that he's just not, I don't want to say toxic because I'm not there. I'm not in the locker room, but he's definitely not helping. I'm not afraid to say toxic. I think, I think he's toxic to a team. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they're bad. Uh, and the situation is bad. I, I understand the hate for the Uber driver, but I'm not going to sit here and blame the guy. It's not his fault. They went off and started trashing the team in his Uber. He's got to make a quick. If he's driving an Uber, he maybe might need a quick buck already. So, who are we to sit here and judge the dude who was like, yeah, who, who knows what he flipped it for? Who knows who he reached out to first? All I know is it's. I'm not going to sit here and dismiss the actions of five grown ass millionaires because of what one Uber driver did. I think that's. I think that's another cop out. I'm not saying Voracek's wrong, but I don't think blaming the Uber driver is the way to go. And I just don't think anyone knows what they're doing unless they're in that situation. So I just – I don't think Voracek understands because it hasn't happened to him. I don't think we understand what the Uber driver was thinking because we've never had that opportunity. Like, Who's to say if we have our, our video set up and we catch the team, you know, just completely ripping their ownership, that we're – I'm at least sending it to my buddies, and who knows what they do with it from there. So I think that that's something that, that – I mean, I, obviously I'll probably never be put in that spot, but – I don't think the Uber driver necessarily did anything terrible. Yeah, and if you look from like a broad outsider's perspective, um, the 
Uber as a company is probably more popular than the NHL is nationwide. So this <laughs> this sort of publicity is is going to be good for Uber because you've got people who aren't hockey fans. They don't care who these guys are, and they're laughing at the thing, right? Because they, they, they think it's hilarious that this guy released um, video of these guys trash-talking their own employers. And I just think it, it does nothing but help Uber and does nothing but hurt Ottawa. Yeah, but if you're the Ottawa Senators, how do you not immediately get rid of that sponsorship? Because like, it's I would Eugene not have Melnick. Uber. Yeah, but it just it, he already is the laughing stock of the NHL, and to throw up an Uber ad right above the scoreboard right before the game after this video comes out, like that's just that's bad. That's bad right there. For the the one and only time, I will cut him him some slack and say. That's a really quick turnaround to cut with a sponsor who's probably like a multi-million dollar sponsor. Yeah, but you can at least get with the marketing team and be like, hey, don't put this on every single light up board in the in the place. Like, let's just leave the the banner up or something like that. You don't need it flashing everywhere. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a tough spot, but it's also a money grab. And that's all he's good for. Uh, listen, I, like I said, I don't want to make this an Ottawa Senators podcast because we very easily could. Uh, we just like bad teams, Red Wings, Flyers, Senators. So, you know, we really uh, – we'll stick with that. Uh, let's you – know, oh, did I forget them? That's that's so weird. Uh, let's just move on to one bad team and one bad egg. And the Kings suck. I've got no other way to say it. They just suck. Yeah, I mean, they've had their handful of woes. Quick went down. Coach is gone. Um, they've won a couple games since, uh, which is – a little promising for the uh, um, fan base out there in LA. Uh, maybe maybe getting rid of the coach is what they needed. But then you've got Slava Voinov coming back in the picture. Yeah, and I think I think the whole Voinov thing is not gonna make it better. I think all of their media is already negative this year with the start of the season they've had, and to add him back into the picture, it's just it's if they would have reinstate him and allow him to play on their team they will become the most hated team in the NHL by anyone that's not already a Kings fan. I, I think the big, I mean, they have been doing better as of late in the sense that they've won two in a row to make them five, eight and one. So we're, we're you know, we're potentially looking at a, a three, 10 and one team, but the Voinov thing is just a distraction that they, they don't need. And this guy's human garbage. He really is. He's no better than Austin Watson, other than the fact that his record is expunged. And they they don't need it. That guy should never, ever step foot back on NHL ice. But I'm very much worried. I've told you guys already. I'm very much worried he's going to be an NHL player before the end of the season. Well, and I think Bettman has to kind of worry, too. Because if, if Bettman is involved in this, the, the, the decision to allow him to come back, you know, is that going to be one of the last things in his legacy? Because how many years does he really have left as commissioner when people already do not like him and we're facing another lockout? You have to really wonder, you know, two seasons before he's done, a season before he's done, is Gary Bettman's downfall going to be, you know, allowing Voinov back in the the league? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a big Voinov fan when he came into the league. Um, I would I liked the young, I mean, Ed Toffoli, Voinov. I was just a fan of that whole core. And then, you know, he went and did what he did. And it's, it's, I know the NHL is the only of the major four that don't have a domestic violence policy. Yet it seems like these kind of, these sort of uh, instances are, and I don't know the numbers, I'd have to look them up, but they seem less prevalent in the NHL than they do in other sports. And, it's it's kind of weird that they don't have a policy yet. It's it's that way, and I just I don't, no part of me wants to see him allowed back in the league for for the reason that I think that the NHL will do good to keep that sort of um, personality or whatever. I yeah no I and I'm kind of the same. It's funny like you say it like that because when I was young and naive and everything, I always thought of. You know, the NHL was just like, you know, drunk and disorderly. It's nothing crazy. You know, Patrick Kane punching a taxi driver, like stuff like that. Like not even making a joke. I literally thought that was like the worst of the NHL. Then, you know, you've got the Danny Heatley stuff. And more recently, Austin Watson, who had a suspension 
a lesser suspension than Tom Wilson. Listen, Tom Wilson's scum, but at least what he did was on the ice. Austin Watson, no matter what he did, you know, has a domestic violence charge on his record and should not be playing this season. I think it's insane that they don't have a policy. And I'll say this for all four major sports, the policy should just be get out. And the fact that we're even considering, the fact that we have to have this discussion about Voinoff is disgusting in itself. But the Kings have too many things to worry about than to, you know, they have the rights to Slava Voinoff. Get rid of them as soon as he's reinstated because he will get reinstated because the, the NHLPA is going to fight for this guy. That's what they do. And Bettman and the Kings organization, they do not need this. Yeah, and I, I think at this point, just send him to Arizona. They're a big fan of picking up contracts of people that aren't playing anymore. Send it to Arizona, then let them deal with it because, you know, it, it, like we mentioned, Arizona has been a bottom dweller and, and L.A. hasn't. And Arizona has the ability that they can deal with this contract, get rid of it, and no one's going to be surprised. But all you're looking at now is the Kings already having to replace a coach. They're, they're already off to a terrible start of the year, and now you're just going to add one more bad thing for the media to pick up in LA and and they do not need that. The NHL does not need that. And all it's going to do is, is, you know, it's going to deter fans from coming to the NHL. Yeah. Or they can, they can just send them up to Ottawa because their front office doesn't seem to care what their players are doing. That actually wouldn't be totally surprising to me either. If he ends up in a place where it's kind of already downtrodden and they either, I don't know if they'll ice him, but they'll definitely have that contract on the books at some point. Um, there's really not too much to focus on. Jonathan Quick is out for a while, it's not, but they weren't. I, I mentioned this in my power rankings. If you haven't checked them out, uh, go check out uh, episode three of the uh, Belly Up Power Rankings. But I mentioned it uh, with the Kings. They're the bottom of my list, and even before Quick went down, they were struggling. So there's really not, you know, there's not much that's going to change other than Jeff Carter coming back. But he doesn't have enough firepower left to turn this team around. Um. So that I mean that's that's the Kings, that's the Senators, that's the Leafs, that's the Avs, and that is the Coyotes. Guys, real quick, uh, we all have our favorites. Yake, what's uh what's up with the Flyers now? Let's let's do a quick recap of our our favorites. Well, I mean they just had a they had a great wet rest, uh, Western road trip that that they were able to come out from uh, three three zero and one, um, and and the one loss of the overtime loss of the Sharks and. Right now, they're the game side two two middle of the third, and they're they're scoring, and that's the big difference. Is you know um, they're able to find the back of the net, and unfortunately, you know they're still not highly out shooting teams. In some of those games, they actually were underneath it. And as I say this, the Arizona Coyotes just took the lead, so I'm going to try not to cuss right now. Um, <laughs> but but it's a team that you have to wonder. Are they going to be able to turn it around? Is this just going to be, you know, oh, yeah, it was a road trip. Um, and they're, you're going to look back at it at a, a turning point as, you know, maybe they got comfortable. They, they won a few games. They sat back. So it's either going to be a turning point in the season for the good or the bad. And I think the biggest thing from the road trip that we learned is that Dave Haxtall is currently wearing gritty-inspired socks with Gritty's face on it. And they're 2-0 and when he wears it. So if they lose, I hope he doesn't have them on tonight. But if I were him, and, and he's already on the hot seat as it is, I would throw away every pair of socks I own and get about 20 of those made. Yeah, I uh, I saw that you tweeted about that, uh, actually. And I'm trying to get um, Blashell to start wearing some, some gritty socks if they're working that well. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, the Red Wings, I've been a little more happy with them lately than, uh, than I was at the beginning. Um, they're still young, you know. They're trying out different different people, sending them up and down, trying out different lineups. Um, this week, they finally did climb out of the last spot in my power rankings up to number thirty. Uh, so that's a big win for them. Um, Let's a lot go. of that has to do with the Kings, but um, you know it is what it is. But uh, I think they just need to keep up, uh, keep fighting. They need to. Uh, they re- they're just trying to figure each other out. They're, like I said, they're super young. They lost their captain, so um, it's just kind of a. They're kind of regrouping. I like the pace that they're on right now, um, keeping games close, closer than they were at the beginning of the season. But uh, um, I, I, I'm really interested to see. They've got uh, some some games coming up that they should be able to handle, should be able to stick in, and it's going to be a real test to, to see where they 
where they end up going forward. Yo, we, I was just about to say we might lose Yake again. <laughs> Short-handed goal. That's good for my fantasy team, Ekman Larson. Um, yeah, I, I hear you guys kind of like wishy-washy about your teams. Why don't you grow up and have some real problems? We The Blackhawks just fired arguably the top three coach of all time. Uh, kind of out of the blue. I did say in my Blackhawks recap that uh, that time was probably coming if they didn't turn it around. But this is, I mean, this was totally out of the blue. There's no coach in the in the NHL right now that could get more out of this team than Joel Quenville. As complacent as he might have been, and I know it's been a while since they've been overly successful, but he did win three cups. He does have the second most wins of all time. Someone might have to check me on that. But I think that's accurate. Well, my thing is it's not a young team. Like, this is not a young team. There's absolutely no reason for them to change a coach because th- these guys have proved they will play for this coach. And the fact that they just they up and got rid of a top-tier coach was so surprising to me, and I really hope Philly goes out and gets them. I see. I, I can only, It's funny. We talked about L.A. Uh, he's going to be in L.A. or St. Louis. I don't think there's – I mean – Or Philadelphia. God. Hey, if he's in Philadelphia, I'll might go, I might go see him. You know, I'm not too far from that arena. Um, I just, you know, I need one last mustache ride to really be satisfied with my time with Quenville. But the guy, I mean, the guy's a stud. His, you know, he's a big, I don't know how many, you know, I know you guys don't like the Hawks, but in a lot of the the documentaries and everything about those teams, he is one of those guys. He's just screaming peanut butter from the bench in the locker room, no matter where he is. If he likes something, effing peanut butter. We got this, boys. And uh, it's it's really sad to see him go. Actually, not I'm not gonna sit here and hold a memorial, but um, similar, you know, Zach when you know Bowman leaves and Babcock leaves, it's, it you know they left on different terms. But it sucks to see Quenville go, and uh, it mainly because I know what comes next. Um, Collider is the same age as Brent Seabrook. You know, Yake, you want to talk about the age of this team? They play on the same U18 and. Uh, World Junior Championship teams together. Yeah, I think it's time to retire. <laughs> so it uh, it's unfortunate for Quenville. Uh, we wish him the best of luck, and he'll land on his feet. You know that guy's got staying power anywhere. If he's not a coach by the end of this month, I'll be super surprised. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned he was arguably top three. I don't even know if that's arguable. I'd, I'd put him top three for sure. Well. Uh, Head over to at Belly Up NHL. We're going to put a poll up. We're going to see how long uh, everyone thinks it'll be before Joel Quenville is back behind the bench. Guys, any last thoughts before we get out of here? What a week. What an episode. Yeah, I just think my biggest problem is that Dave Haxall is now the fourth most tenured coach in the NHL. He's tied for fourth. And if no one else sees a problem with that, then I, I'm done doing a podcast. <laughs> Let's hope Hextall sees a problem with that. <laughs> Zach Mack, what do you think for this week? Um, I'd like to I'd like to end on something fun if you guys are willing to and talk about uh if there's any um players that are currently wearing a future retired jersey who you think they might be. Yeah, there's a 28, there's a 93, there's a 17. Um th- those ones will probably all be retired here soon. Number 88. I had 88 on my list. The greatest American player of all time. I I think I think it'll be I think it'll obviously be retired in Chicago, but my question is, is there anybody out there that will have a retired jersey in the entire league? I don't think we'll ever go back to that. If they, if, and I know it's different sport, different eras and everything like that, but if what they did for Gretzky is one thing, I think it's kind of silly, but whatever. Um, But like the NBA hasn't even retired 23. I don't think we're ever going to see a league wide uh, retirement ever again. But I, I mean, there's a lot of guys who are going to have their jerseys retired and everything. You look across the league and, you know, my, it's probably my favoritism because I watch them more than anybody, but nobody is going to wear number 88 in Chicago ever again. Yeah, and I think you you get on teams like that where it, it's almost waiting for the jersey to be retired. If you have a young guy coming in saying he's going to wear that jersey, that young guy will not make it to the NHL because it's, it's bad for the fan base. It's bad for the team. And um yeah, oh, who was it? There was somebody. Look at what we did with Josh Hosang, who who put on sixty. That's exactly what I was. I, that's exactly what I was thinking of, but I couldn't remember. Yeah, I mean the guy, you know, 
whether it was tribute, whether it was tribute or not, this is what I was talking about. Go, to, please, if you haven't already, please, 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 go check out my article about NHL fans because this is the type of stuff that ruins young players. I mean, he he puts on sixty six. It's not a league wide retired jersey. I know this is this unspoken code about numbers, but it's not ninety nine. Let the dude wear it. Was Lemieux ever even an Islander? Not to my knowledge. I don't know. He's a hot plate of garbage. Stop worrying about things like that. Yeah, hey, by the way, I took personal offense to your article because, I mean, I felt like you wrote that about me, so I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> it was not directed towards anyone in particular. Listen, I trash the plot. I'm better about it now because, you know, I don't want to hurt Yake's feelings. <laughs> um, but, no, I'm, I'm just as bad as the average hockey fan. But uh, I promise that was not written about you. Maybe Zach for his Detroit views, but whatever. Zach, any uh, retired numbers in your mind? Um, I mean, I kind of separated mine into like who could retire now and have it, and then who is kind of future. So um, I think I think McDavid eventually will have. Oh yeah, Mc, yeah, I think he for sure. For people right now, obviously Ovechkin, I think could retire right now. He's be retired. Um, Lundqvist, Chara, I think could be the same way. What about Yager? Does Yager get his jersey retired on any of his thirty-seven teams that he was a part of? That's the confusing thing. I mean. Where where does his number get retired? I mean, he he might be the best player in Florida Panther history, but they yeah. won't retire. They won't retire sixty eight there. You know, it's definitely not going to be Calgary, but Pittsburgh, maybe. I mean, and I know what you did there, Zach. By the way, I paid attention enough. Eighty seven is going to be retired if he retired today. Yes, I had him on my retired today as well. Yeah, but you forgot to mention him. How cute. I, I don't know who you guys are talking about. Speaking of which, uh, no, I mean, as far as guys who could retire today, I think that's the majority of the list. I can't really think. Maybe Bergeron. I had Getzlev on there as well. Yeah, as I say, this team for Boston is so loved. You really could you could pick a few different Boston guys that could really have it retired, and, and I don't think anyone in the fan base would be upset. I mean, there's really no outliers in this. I mean, obviously, the most recent retirees – all geez, all the Swedes, Sedin, Sedin, and Zetterberg, they're all going to be up in the Raptors uh, just because they were so loved by their teams. But I, I mean, outside of who you mentioned, I can't really think of someone who could retire tomorrow and have their, have their jersey up in the Raptors. Never really think about jersey retirement until I'm complaining about the jersey they're retiring that night. But it is, I mean, it is something to think about because, you know, we all have NHL dreams. So when I eventually make the Flyers, because they're the most ideal, you know, reasonable team to make for an amateur. Uh, I'd like to know what jersey I'm going to wear. Guys, this was a ton of fun. I love uh, the trash talk. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already, because we've got a lot of fun little videos and everything. We're really, really getting in the postseason mode now, because as Yake made it clear, none of us will be in postseason mode with our teams. No, I, I didn't make it clear that none of us would be. No. I said you too. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think we talked enough about the Flyers to know that you're probably included in that. Guys, this was a ton of fun. I can't wait to talk to you next week. For Yake and Zach Mack, I'm KJ. This was the Puck Puck Pass podcast. Yeah, on my way out, I'd like to uh, throw a quick shout-out to Ball and Mitt. If you guys don't know who they are, follow them on Twitter. They're big help in uh, um, putting our podcast together. So check them out. This episode of Puck Puck Pass was brought to you by Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Follow your host on Twitter, BellyUpYake, BellyUp underscore KJ, and BellyUpZachMack.